World's Finest Podcast, Episode 65. As always, I'm the grumpy as fuck Michael Sims, and with me is the tired as all hell James Doe. I'd ask how you are, sir, and I'd have you ask it back to me, but I think I just summed it up for both of us. Oh, I think you did quite uh, (laughs) admirably. Yes, you're tired because why? Um, everything. (laughs) There you go. Work and school and more work and more school and more school. (laughs) And... Somewhere in the middle of there, I'm I'm feverishly working on a music video, though. So at least <sighs> at least my creative uh, gears are functioning properly. Well, that's good. That's good. Me, I'm grumpy for reasons I'm not going to get into on the air, at least. But uh, yeah, I I'm not good right now. So if I'm overly harsh on these episodes today, there you go. That's why James and I have the recap rescoring episode coming up <laughs> for instances like this when hey, maybe we're being a little too harsh. So Yeah, that'd be about a month from now, won't it? Uh yeah, because the next episode, sixty six, is the last episode where we actually cover episodes of static. And then uh sixty seven is our recap show featuring Ian's uh, clips of us making asses of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the people love. Yes, yes. Uh, before we get into the emails, I just want to remind everybody to go listen to Earth2.net The Show, episode 350, which yes. aired this past Saturday. Uh, well, I guess when it aired doesn't ultimately matter because it'll be up on the archives forever and ever and ever uh, and ever, um, it's it's about a three hour and fifteen minute show of James, Ian, and myself. Oh boy, uh, discussing Batman and Robin, lambasting. Yeah, pretty much so. Uh, we had a hell of a time doing it. It was a great recording. Uh, it was truly fun to do, and I think it really came through in the audio. I mean, there are some choice moments in there um definite candidates for like moment of the year for the upcoming earth 2.net the uh, earth 2.net main page awards um yeah just, just from that whole... episode the, yeah <laughs> that's a highlight reel right there <laughs> the whole show yep, pretty much definitely download that i want to see huge 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 download numbers for that episode because uh you know, we only suffered through Batman and Robin <laughs> for you people. So get it. It's on iTunes. It's on Earth2.net, Earth-2.net. Go get the episode. In fact, I even put it on the uh, WFP webpage, worldsfinestpodcast.com. So there we go. Uh, let's get into some emails. All right. First one is to, uh, from Graham, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, you two have gone through so much, and you're almost at Justice League, which I cannot wait for. Neither can I. Uh, I really enjoyed your recent review on Earth2.net, the show of Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. Uh, I just have one question, sort of, uh, about this. Are you guys ever going to review the rest of the DCU uh, animated original movie? If so, then when? Um, I really hope we that you and I review Wonder Woman at some point, because that is an awesome movie. 
Yeah, you know, it's a matter of having the time to do it and just, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I, I would like for us to maybe not review all of them, but review them intermittently. Let's just say this. We'll leave it as a maybe. It's it's We can't give a definitive answer either way. And continuing the email, I also had a couple questions uh, for you guys about Static Shock. Do you think it is better that Static Shock is in the DCAU? And my other question is, is Toys in the Hood the worst episode in the DCAU? I know you guys have said for a long time that the Terrible Trio is the worst, but I think Toys in the Hood is. Well, let's see. Back, first question first. I like Static being in the DCAU for, for the most part, because I think the show has really surprised me on a lot of levels. I think I didn't, I think going into the uh, going into the show, I was like, eh, I don't know how good of a show this is going to be. And there have been a lot of really, really solid episodes. And we're going to discuss more about crossovers with the Justice League in our episode today. So uh, they've been kind of hit or miss, but the hits have been really good. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a thumbs up to it being in the DCAU. Yeah, I definitely like it being in the DCAU. It's a different perspective than what we get from the other shows. I feel it's much more grounded than anything else. I don't know if that's because the superhero is a teenager, and yeah, technically Terry McGinnis is a teenager too. But I, you know, I, I think him being young is part of it. I think it being in an urban environment is part of it. I mean, with Batman, we've got a rich guy in his 30s, you know. With Superman, we've got, you know, a guy making a decent wage, living in a pretty nice apartment in in a city, but it's not ground level. Um, you know, the, sh the, the, the show, the character isn't grounded, I mean, in that way. Um, Batman Beyond, you know, it's in the future. You know, that's not grounded. Uh, Zeta again in the future. It's sci-fi with a robot, and sta you know, and then Justice League and Teen Titans. Um, <laughs> they, they, they're you know they're they're more superhero action. But when it comes to Static, you know, we get the family element. Oftentimes, Virgil's you know role within his family structure is just as important as him being a superhero in Dakota. Um, so I like seeing this angle of the DCAU. Um, it's much more human. It's much more real. Um, it makes you believe that someone could be a superhero, and it, it doesn't ever treat Virgil almost like a god. Um, if you look at Batman, Superman, the members of the Justice League, they're adults who have had these powers or skills for a long, long time. And because of the way we're seeing them, sometimes it comes off as if, you know, they're the gods coming down from Olympus. Uh, but with Virgil, you never, ever get that. He's very green at times. Even still, in the fourth season of this show, um, he can still be very green, makes his mistakes. He's still young. And, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy seeing uh, the, the DCAU represented that way. So, what is the worst episode? <laughs> Oh, I think we should throw, um, shit, what was the Gotham Knights one? In mean there? Seasons? Yeah, Mean Seasons. So let's let's not just limit it to Terrible Trio. And Joyride from Batman Beyond. And Joyride, uh, Joyride. Oh, is that the one where the guys steal that ship? And yeah, the Joker's gang steals the fucking ship. Yeah, you know what? Reactor. Let's not answer this right now. Let's save this for the very end of the program. 
not this episode, the program, WFP. Now, hopefully we'll remember to address this in a year and a half's time. But yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about our favorite episodes, the worst episodes. So yeah, sorry, we're just not going to do this one right now because... You know, who knows? I don't think there's any Justice League or Teen Titans episodes that are just like, oh my god, this is the worst ever. We have to pair it up with the terrible trio and Toys in the Hood and, you know. <laughs> whatever um, else. Yeah, and, and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd like to save this question. Next one is from Sean, who writes, Dear Mike and James, I really enjoy your podcast. I've been listening to it for about two weeks now. I am just insanely crazy about continuity when it comes to anything, so I haven't actually heard your more recent stuff, but I am on episode 20 and climbing fast. So whoa, 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 wait. How long has he been listening? Two weeks? It says two weeks, and he's listened to 20 episodes. Okay, you know what, sir? Speed up. We've had other listeners who have told us that in, like, three days they've listened to all of them. So you know what? <laughs> <You're>, yeah. <laughs> That's all I have to say to you is... <laughs> Views expressed by Michael David Sims on this program do not necessarily reflect those of James Doe. <laughs> so, if this would even get on the show, it would probably be a week or more, or way more, before I got to hear it. Anyway, enough babbling. On to the reason I sent this email in the first place. I discovered that BTAS, and maybe Gotham Knights, I'm not sure yet, along with Superman the Animated Series, are being shown on Disney XD. Probably for a while now, I just didn't notice. But I thought it was humorous to note that when I set my DVR to record Batman, the first two episodes set to record are Tiger, Tiger, and Moon of the Wolf. <laughs> Speaking of really, really horrible oh. episodes. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Not for you, but for your TiVo. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That, that TiVo's going to regurgitate, yeah. like, gears or something. <laughs> Uh, I guess Disney hates me. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for the great podcast. I look forward to many, many more. Keep it up. You guys can, uh, can only get better. <laughs> Thank, <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Alrighty, next one is from Patrick, who writes, Dear WFP, I have been listening to your podcast uh, for last month, and I've loved it. Have you, uh, any either of you guys, seen Marvel Superhero Squad yet? It's very funny. Um I have been listening to the Static Shock episodes uh, reviews recently. I found them very positive. I have all of BTAS, some of Gotham Knights, uh, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited on DVD, and I've also added some Static Shock and Batman Beyond on DVD as well. Are there any chances of you guys reviewing The Batman after Teen Titans? The show was fine, but I did not like the Rasta Joker style. Um, I liked, I, I would have liked to have seen Two-Face, Scarecrow, and Rachel Ghoul in that series. Well... I think we've answered this before. Yeah, you know, okay, the Teen Titans, you know, okay, whether it's in continuity or not, James and I says it is, other people say it is, other people say it isn't, we're going to cover it because we think it can loosely connect. I think it can more than loosely connect, but uh, for the sake of this, I'll say loosely. The Batman, though, it's there's no way that's in continuity at all. Um, so no, we're not going to cover it on World's Finest Podcast. You know, will we maybe do something down the line? I can't say no, you know, never say never, that kind of thing. This goes back to the first question of this episode. You know, are we going to do the other, uh, DC universe or whatever they're called movies? Maybe that's all I can say. Um, as for Marvel Superhero Squad, no, I haven't had a chance to catch it yet. Um, James, have you, I doubt you have. I don't watch much TV anymore. All right. Uh, I do like Avatar, various animes, and the WB-style DCAU. I still like uh, Super Friends from when I was a kid. Uh, did you two get the Spider-Man reference in the beginning of the 
Superman the Animated Series episode, Unity, again, speaking of really, really bad episodes, <laughs> where Supergirl is reading one of the comics on the bus and says, a man with the powers of a spider? Ew. Something tells me we made a reference to that in the episode, but maybe it's that got so edited out. Yeah, I mean, because first off, you know, again, as James just said, that was so long ago, I can't be certain we did make a reference to it. But you also have to remember that not everything we say winds up in the finished product. So sometimes I can't remember what was left in and what was taken out. <laughs> but I'm 99% sure one of us said something, but maybe it wound up on the uh, cutting room floor, so to speak. I don't know. But yeah, I, I do remember catching it, yeah. And Patrick ends his email saying, cannot wait for your review of Batman and Robin on Earth 2. Show. <laughs> well, it's up. It's up. Go get it. Okay, next one's from David, who writes, Hey guys, I've been listening to quite a few episodes of WFP, downloading them on my MP3 player and listening to them at work at my warehouse job. Uh, a lot of episode reviews I have agreed with, a lot I haven't. Little Girl Lost is, is one in particular I didn't think was nearly as bad as it was portrayed on the podcast. I do agree that there could have been a heck of a lot more exploration of how she went from being an alien girl in suspended animation to a Kansas farm girl who knew enough about Earth to fit in. I like the animation in the sequence where Kara is flying over the Kent's farm, and it was fun watching her run around with Jimmy. In fact, I wish they could have done more with the friendship-slash-relationship between those two characters. Would have been a better alternative than Unity, at any rate. And the two-parter definitely gets points for being possibly the only episodes in the DCAU that gave a reason why Metropolis is a magnet for asteroids, and Little Girl Lost, it actually is. And I can give a possible explanation uh, for why Kara's mother was speaking English in the recording Superman saw. Maybe the computer had a universal translator that would have allowed any possible species with a coherent language to understand what was being said. After all, there was no guarantee that any Kryptonian or English-speaking beings uh, would have found the colony or the recording. And regarding Kara's comment about always wanting to save the world... This is a girl who wasn't able to do anything to prevent her own colony from being destroyed. She was probably well aware of Argo's fate uh, before she was put in cryostasis, so now that she's on Earth and she has superpowers, she now has the ability to do something to save her adopted home. Keep uh, keep up the good work with the podcast, guys. It's addictive as crack. <laughs> well, I, I hope you don't know awesome. that for sure. You know, <laughs> I want I want that to be our new uh, tagline. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's crack. I'll WFP, it's crack for your ears. Yeah, I'll get on that, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but no, those are some really, really good points, especially the one about, or the ones about the Universal Translator and why Kara feels so protective of Earth or wanting to save the world. Uh, good points there. Yeah, I can't disagree. With the Universal Translator one, though, I would question if the Kryptonians or the Argonians or whatever, the Universal Translator would know English considering during that time period, you know, we, you know, well, which would be now, you know, all we have space travel wise are, you know, space shuttles. So would they know about our language enough to put it in their translator? That seems a little off to me, but now nah, roll with it. Uh, lastly up today is from Joseph who writes, Hey guys, thanks for the review of Blast from the Past. When I first saw that episode, I knew that Professor Menace is voiced by Terrence Stamp, a.k.a. General Zod from the Superman movies. And he also played Siegfried in the Get uh, from the Get yeah. Smart movie. Yeah, he did. I wish that's he would. Oh, that's a really good movie, by the way. Get, Get Smart. You know, I I was a fan of the TV show, and going in, I was a little worried that that movie was going to be bad. But it was really about one with funny. Dwayne Johnson and uh, yeah, Steve yeah. The Rock is really good in there. He really is. It sort of acknowledges the TV show too. 
in these very small ways. But I'm, I, I don't want to say more than that for anybody who hasn't seen it, because I don't want to ruin the little bits that are in there that sort of acknowledge the TV show. Back to the email, uh, he says, I wish he would have voiced Jack Zor with Sarah Douglas as Mala from the episode, mm. which I will not mention, uh, <laughs> that, that thing in space. <laughs> And also, thanks for the review of Public Enemies. Clancy Brown is perfect as Lex Luthor. Uh, did you guys know that he played the guard from Shawshank Redemption? Thanks, and happy Halloween. Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of the Shawshank Redemption, both the movie and the novella that it's based off of. I mean, I've read that novella probably at least ten times. I love it so much. And, and that movie is seriously one of my favorites. So, yeah, yeah. Only has a postscript here. I found out there is a movie of Jonah Hex out in 2010, and Josh Brolin is playing him. What do you guys think of this movie? Okay, Josh Brolin, I think is really great casting for Hex. Um, Megan Fox is in it, and I can't stand her, so I'm a little worried. Uh, and another thing that has me a little worried is some of the shots I've seen of Brolin as Hex. The scarring, especially the eye... Mm, doesn't look like I want it to. I'm hoping in, you know, they put some sort of digital effect on his eye to make it even more f creepy as it is in the comics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, um, like it's like uh, Two-Face in The Dark Knight. Yeah. I mean, it, that was very Jonah Hex-styled scarring right. with uh, Harvey Dent there. Yeah, that see that's how I want his eye to be, and the way it looks right now, it's not. So I'm I'm really hoping they do something in post. We'll see. Oh, and a post postscript. Uh, what do you guys think about the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street coming out next year? The actor play uh, who played Rorschach is going to play Freddy Krueger, and Clancy Brown will be in it too, reportedly. Hmm. Uh, Clancy Brown. I don't think I knew he was in that. I can only assume he'd be playing the uh, Nancy's dad, uh, the officer. Okay, when I first heard they were remaking Nightmare on Elm Street, I was like, what the fuck? You know, it's such a classic, and I think it holds up so very well that it just doesn't need remaking. But at the same time, I did see the remake of Friday the 13th, and it's really good. Extremely good. And it's the same production company that's doing that, I believe. So, okay, I'll I'll go with that, you know. Um and then when I heard Jackie Earl Haley, or, yeah, is it Haley or Hale? Haley, I think, uh, was going to be playing Freddy. I was like, okay, that's some decent casting. And then I saw the trailer that's out there, and there's a lot of shots that look like they're from the original. So I'm like, okay, you know, they're going to they're gonna update it, but they're not going to stray too terribly far. Another thing that looked interesting in the trailer is they might play up the fact that Freddy maybe wasn't guilty of the crimes he was uh, accused or maybe convicted of, um, which would be a, a whole new twist on it and would explain why he has wants revenge on these people mm -hmm. for what they did. And I'm like, okay, that's really cool. Um, the scarring on him is much more in tune with a, I should say, we see very little of it in the trailer, but what's there uh, is much more true to what a real burn victim would look like, but the voice that he's using, I've only heard a few lines again from that trailer, but I'm not crazy about it. And it's not me comparing it to Robert England's voice. It's me just not being crazy about the voice he's using. So I'm excited except for that. <laughs> James, have you seen the trailer? No, I haven't. 
I know very little about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, truthfully. Okay. I just okay. haven't seen very many. I've seen, um, I think I've seen a new Nightmare, um, and I think I might have seen two and three. What is new, a new Nightmare? Do you remember what which chapter that is? New Nightmare is the one that actually stars Nancy, but as the actress herself. Wes Craven is in it as himself. Robert England is in it as himself, and it's and it's as if. Freddy has somehow come over to the real world or something like that. Yeah, I've yeah. seen that one, and I think I've seen t- uh, parts two and three. Okay. I don't I don't even think I've ever seen the original. Oh, you have to. It's really good. It's so good. And the Johnny Depp's death scene is like one of the <laughs> freakiest things you'll ever see in cinema. It's so fucked up. And uh, I really hope they find a way to uh, keep that in this new film, because it's just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Garbage. Pure garbage. I hope you're not talking about my cooking, son. That's Virgil. He never appreciates how hard it is to make good food. Mm. <laughs> no, I was talking about this. This saying the Green Lanterns turned into a criminal. Pops, he'd never do that. Just because the Green Lantern's one of your heroes? Don't be so naive. Oh, you believe something just because you saw it in a newspaper and you're saying I'm naive? Calling the Lantern a crook is whack and I'm not buying it. He's a first class act all the way. First up today is Fallen Hero. In this one, the episode opens up with Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, attacking a police brigade. And obviously the police aren't having much luck against the most powerful (laughs) weapon in existence. So Stewart uh, ends up stealing dozens and dozens of gold bars from a Federal Reserve and just flies off. The next morning, Virgil is reading the newspaper, and he doesn't believe for one second that, uh, that GL could have turned rogue. And uh, so Static and Gear go out on patrol later, and Static, uh, they end up confronting uh, GL, and Static tries to talk to him, uh, and he's stealing computer chips now, but uh, after kind of bantering back and forth if you, uh, for a minute, uh, Green Lantern blasts him into a building, and uh, Gear gets the same treatment for his troubles, too. Um, and after this... Uh, Geo blasts Static again, and he starts laughing until a Green Lantern beam hits him from behind, and it turns out that John Stewart has been framed, of course, because <laughs> the real Stewart appears behind looking quite the worse for wear. He is, his costume is shredded, his, he's wearing a trench coat, he's got a, uh, a really scraggly beard, um, and the evil Green Lantern, of course, turns out to be Sinestro in the guise of John Stewart after <laughs> He has stolen uh, Stuart's power battery, and Stuart's ring is nearly dead, and so Sinestro easily takes him down. And uh, Sinestro once again takes on Stuart's image and vows to destroy what's left of his reputation. So later, Static and Gear go out on patrol again, and Sinestro attacks them in uh, the disguise of Jon Stewart. So they start fighting through the skies, and uh, Stuart shows up unbeknownst to the heroes, well, Sinestro disappears momentarily, and Stuart shows up and pleads to Static and Gear to listen, but they won't hear any of it because, you know, they've 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 made up their mind that he's gone rogue, and they're not they're going to bring him in. So they start fighting, and Stuart chases them through the rooftops until they uh, they they get the upper hand on him, and Stuart's ring uh, runs out of power again, 
and he falls to the ground where Static just is waiting and just zaps him. Uh, he's arrested, and Sinestro uh, confronts Stewart in the paddy wagon, and he wants the ring, but Stewart doesn't have it. Uh, it turns out that he hid it in uh, Static's jacket when he was on the ground pleading with him earlier. And uh, when Static finds it in his jacket later, he goes to the prison to see why uh, GL did that. Well, Stewart explains that uh, he received a uh, distress call from an asteroid where a uh, spaceship of some sort had crashed, and he saw that there was only one survivor, it was the pilot. Um, and while he was he was trying to recharge his battery, because he didn't think he would be able to make it all the way back to Earth on his current power level, so he pulls out the battery and tries to recharge it, but the, the pilot turned out to be Sinestro in disguise, and he uh, got the jump on Stuart and took uh, and stole the power battery. Um, so... When Static gets back to the gas station, Sinestro is waiting there with the, a trapped Richie um, at his mercy, and he demands the ring, but uh, Static throws him a fake one, like a, a toy decoder ring or something, and uh, he tries to get away, but Sinestro blasts him from behind. Stewart shows up, they start fighting for a while. Eventually, Sinestro and uh, Green Lantern end up in a you know a ring blasting battle, and uh, Static helps. Uh, GL out with a power boost, and Sinestro is fried. So Green Lantern gets his power battery back, uh, he takes Sinestro's ring, and Sinestro is taken prisoner. And that's pretty much it. Okay, I thought this was like a really strong episode, and then it kind of starts to fall apart for me near the end. Maybe even past, just past the middle is when it starts to crumble for me. Okay, I'm just going to get my biggest problem with this out of the way. There's a really big, like, plot hole in this episode. Talking about the power battery? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, the whole thing is that John is able to hide the power battery in, like, a pocket dimension. Okay, I think that's actually keeping somewhat in tune with uh, what Green Lantern actually does or did in comics. I don't know if he still does that. Okay, so... Sinestro tricks him into revealing where it is in the pocket dimension. Sinestro then steals it. John is on a quest to get it back from Sinestro. At one point, he even says, where is it? And Sinestro's like, I'm never going to tell you. <laughs> and then when he like captures Sinestro at the end, he just cites the oath, and it comes out of the pocket dimension. But... If it was always in the pocket dimension, why didn't he just summon it before then? It's not like Sinestro was keeping John from accessing the pocket dimension. John clearly didn't know it was in the pocket dimension. Sinestro never tells him that's where it still is, yet he just knows that it's there, and he's able to access it at the end. It was so stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and then... And, and then I have to question why, after he cites the oath, he's suddenly clean-shaven. <laughs> I can deal with his costume being fixed up, because the costume is a manifestation of the ring's power. You know, it's not supposed to be cloth. So, okay, that's right. fine, that's fixed up. But it shaves him, too? That was a little weird. But the, the shaving is a nitpick compared to that glaring plot hole. Ugh. You know, and what was Sinestro's whole plan? He was going to... Ruin... Stewart's reputation and eventually steal the ring. Yeah. You know, and, why and, didn't he just take the ring while he was on the asteroid? Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And here's a problem. Okay, this is Green Lantern comic book continuity, but it's still a big part of the Green Lantern mythos, and it kind of upset me that it wasn't here, or that it wasn't used here, I should say. At one point, Sinestro pulls out a necklace with a whole bunch of Green Lantern rings strung across it, which is a pretty striking visual when you think about it. But Mm -hmm. when you kill a Green Lantern, the ring flies back to Oa, or it seeks out a new person to wear it. So there's no way it, he should be able to hold on to it. Unless he didn't kill the lanterns. Yeah. But Sinestro is a murderer. So right, yeah. Makes no sense. At one point he says he wants to conquer the universe, and no, he doesn't. He doesn't. He wants to bring order to the universe. He wants to do that by conquering it, but he's not mwahaha, mustache twirling, I must conquer the universe. No, no, no. It's conquer it to bring order. With him as the leader, of course. But that's what it's about for him. So I didn't like the way Sinestro was portrayed. I didn't like his voice. And that big plot hole at the end really undid like the cool action, the the neatness of seeing Green Lantern here. Uh, it, 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 it undermined just a lot of the, the good stuff in this episode. It really did. And there is good stuff in the episode. I love Static's rage at, at his, to use the title, Fallen Hero. You know, when he's, when he's, I think he's beating on the green bubble at one point when the real John is in there. It's like, right. that is awesome. Cause this, this, this boy, you know, he has someone to look up to and, and now he doesn't, or at least he thought he didn't. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And then I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you a chance to jump in in a second. <laughs> and then what's up with static being able to power the ring? No. No, it made sense in Blast from the Past when Sparky and Static charged, uh, what was his name? Uh, Soul Power. Soul Power, yeah, I almost called him Disco Fever. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> oh, oh, I thought you were about to say Disco Inferno. No. I was like, oh, no, no. not him. <laughs> no, no. It made sense when they were charging him, but because it's the same power. So he absorbs right. their power to, to blast uh, Dr. Menace or whatever his name was. But here, I mean, granted, they showed it when John was using his static-charged ring. It was still green, but it looked different. It wasn't the normal beam. And it was actually a slightly different color with just a green tint. But that is not how the ring works. You can't do that. I'm glad you said that because I can kind of lead into my biggest question with this whole thing. I don't understand the shape-shifting disguise stuff. And, I, Mike, you know more about the Green Lantern mythos than I will ever know. And I know that you, like you said, the Green Lantern costume is a projection of the ring, but can the rings make full-blown disguises and, like, shape-shift people without there being any yellow or green light projection? You know what? I I would have said no, but, um, you know, (laughs) over on, I'm going to shill, over on an Earth2.net podcast, a new one that is, um, or it's new to Earth2.net, is uh, DJ Comics Cavalcade, hosted by Tom DJ. And... What he's doing in that podcast is he's going through Captain America and Green Lantern stories from the Silver Age. Now, in the Green Lantern episodes, he often refers to the ring having almost godlike powers. It can do whatever the writer wants it to do. And there's times where the ring makes itself invisible. It can make other people invisible. And I think it's even, at least in those early Silver Age stories, has made people look like other people, but I could be wrong about that. So knowing that it used to be able to do that, because I don't think the ring has that power anymore, 
it doesn't bother me that Sinestro is able to make himself look like GL. And the fact of the matter is, even when he does make himself look like GL, he still does have the green hue around him because of the ring. Right. So, cause, no, because you had said, can he do that without there being the, a green or yellow hue? But there's naturally going to be that green hue about around GL. So you can kind of forget yeah. about that part. But yeah, yeah, I, I have no problem with it being able to... Oh, you mean like a straight up, almost like a hologram type thing. Like yeah, completely just green like, and not just... Like he's shape-shifting. Right, yeah. Either way, you know, okay, let's, let's just ignore the hue part of it. You know what I mean? I'm okay right. with it because the ring, as I said, can do whatever the writer wants it to do, if you want the truth. It does seem a little out of, a, a little out of left field, um, because I don't think we ever see anything like that in the Justice League. So I can see you questioning it. 100% I can. No, I mean, like, I just think most of this episode just seemed like filler. It was it was just a one note, extremely linear episode, and I there were it was a lot of fighting. There was very little static in this episode. Uh, it was yeah. mostly Sinestro, uh, mostly Sinestro, and then secondarily John Stewart, then static. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't know. This episode doesn't have a lot of you know peaks and valleys. There's very little wavering from the the, the uh, beaten path. Yeah. So, I I don't know. It's like I said in in our email section. It just it seems like these Justice League, you know, and other like Batman Beyond crossover episodes are really hit or miss until now. I don't cuz I don't know. I don't think this one was a miss per se, but it certainly wasn't a hit either. Do you remember when we all those Oh, episodes back. When we were having problems with Joker episodes, I believe I threw the idea out there that maybe they slacked off a little on the Joker episodes because it's the Joker and people are going to tune in no matter what. So they didn't have to, like, I don't want to say give it their all, but at the same time, I guess that is kind of what they're saying. Maybe that's kind of what they're feeling here with the Justice League. They know people are going to tune in no matter how good or bad the episode is. So we get episodes like this that are so-so with some kind of big problems. We get crap, like Toys in the Hood, but then we get some, you know, not some not-so-bad ones, too. Like at Future Shock. Time. I like, I really right. like Future Shock. Yeah, Future Shock is good, but, you know, maybe that's why with a lot of these are sort of getting middle-of-the-road or worse, because they were like, eh, people will tune in no matter what. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Static knocked into a trash pile alert, lest I forget. Was there? I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, good catch. <laughs> Other than that, not really much to say here. It's it's. I think we've covered just about everything, really. Oh, I've got more. I've got more. I only quieted down to give you time to talk. That's oh, all. okay. Well, then, I'll, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I apologize. Okay, here's another problem I had with it, and I completely forgot about it until I looked down at my notes. John goes to the asteroid to rescue this astronaut. It turns out the astronaut is Sinestro. He shoots John in the back, as he would, knocks him down, knocks him out. But he only does this after John pulls out the power battery from the pocket dimension, correct? Correct. Sinestro then charged his yellow ring in the power battery. He charged his yellow ring in the Green Lantern power battery, I will say again. It doesn't work that way. You can't have static charge it, and you can't charge a yellow ring in a green power battery. It's got yeah, a completely separate power source. <laughs> yeah, completely different. 
So that was that that ticked me off. That was what I was trying to think of earlier. The Sinestro disguises himself as an astronaut, you know? Mm-hmm. That, that that's I think that was my biggest question and why I even asked the whole shape-shifting disguise stuff. Right, yeah. Because it was like how does the, I mean how does the ring project that? But uh, you know, I guess you you've answered it, so. Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, maybe there should be a yellow hue around him there. I don't know, but I was I was trying to explain away the green hue around him when he was Green Lantern. That that's all I was right. trying to do. But I forgot. You're right. He does do the astronaut with no hue. Here's another thing: Static goes to their gas station, doesn't know Richie's in trouble, doesn't know Sinestro is going to be there. When he shows up, he tricks Sinestro and he tosses him that decoder ring, the Captain Dwayne, which of course is a reference to Dwayne McDuffie. Dakota ring, and he's like, you know, he's like, oh, it's valuable. It's a collector's item. Why did he have that in his pocket if he didn't know Sinestro was going to be there? Did he stop home to get a second ring just in case he bumped into Sinestro? <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't make sense that he'd be... It's, it's one of those things where if earlier in the episode we saw them eating Cracker Jacks or something like that, and he got the ring from there, and he stuffed it in his pocket, I'd go, okay. But just for him to be carrying the ring around doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> but again, I will admit, that's that's a little more of a nitpick than the other things I've been saying. Something that isn't a nitpick for me, though, is when Static bumps into the real John, the real Green Lantern, he gets pretty up close with him, yet he doesn't notice that the costume's torn up, and he suddenly has this scraggly beard. Yeah. Now, he is angry, so maybe you could write it off by saying, hey, he just doesn't notice it, but <laughs> I, I think I'd notice if a guy I was fighting suddenly had a pretty scruffy beard. John Stewart looks terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a broken down, beaten man. The Green Lantern he was fighting before did not look that way in the slightest. You know, you, you might be able to write off the the... the you know, the torn-up costume, because maybe Static thought during the fight he inflicted the damage to the suit. That's a reasonable thought. But the beard, I just can't get over it. No, you can't write off the beard. (laughs) No, you can't. Now, the opening sequence, I thought that was a really great opening, because it's a pre-credit sequence, very powerful. You don't know why Green Lantern's robbing a bank. And he's stealing all this gold. You know, that's like, whoa, it's a pretty cool cliffhanger leading into the rest of the episode. So I'll give it that. However, are we to assume that's taking place in Dakota? Because later on we see the real Green Lantern coming to Dakota. But that could mean he's been tracking Sinestro from city to city. So that opening scene might not have been Dakota. That's what I thought. Okay, because the reason I'm asking was, if it is Dakota, when did the cops get laser guns? Like, I could see the SWAT team having them, because the SWAT team is used to going up against the Bang Babies and other superheroes. So they'd have them for Green Lantern. But the average cop having them, I couldn't see. You know, but if they would have... But if they, but if we accept it's another city, okay, maybe those cops do have laser guns, because maybe they're more advanced technologically. Maybe they have a worse super criminal population. Who knows? Who knows? But... Yeah, because I kind of want to assume it is Dakota, because Static is later on reading the newspaper, and it's it's a front-page story. Then again, I guess a a hero going rogue, especially one like Green Lantern, would make the front page of pretty much any newspaper across America. So, yeah, okay, you can kind of go either way with that, I suppose. 
Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about this one. You know, I've been doing all this ranting on it, but I started out by saying I liked a good portion of it, and I really haven't spoken about anything that I really liked outside of that that opening. Um, what else was there? Um, I don't. Well, you know. said you liked some of the fights. Yeah, the fights were cool. Um, I think the animation in this just this five pack of episodes we're reviewing is mostly very solid. Um, there are a couple episodes I have some problems with animation wise. So I said mostly, but yeah. I know I think I know what you're talking about. So it's a decent idea for an episode having Static go up against Sinestro. That's cool. Um, you know, having him question his idol. But yeah, execution wise, it really faltered for me on so many levels. I really wish it had just one misstep, but this thing tripped over its own feet. We've been stealing parts for a machine that Tech is building. He calls it the Blackout Box. Ebon wants to set it off where no one will see it. Once that happens, it'll spread dark matter all over the sky and make Dakota dark forever. wants all of the Nightbreed to take over the city with him in control. As what? Mayor Ebon? More like King Ebon. He calls us his Army of Darkness. Next up is Army of Darkness. In this one, uh, Static, he's flying around Dakota and he bumps into a young woman standing in front of a jewelry store. And uh, I think right before this on the news, or maybe Static says it, I don't remember, we learn that there have been a lot of robberies recently at night. So when Static's talking to the girl, he's sort of teasing her a little. He's like, hey, aren't you all kind of late? And she's like, uh, uh. And uh, before she can answer, uh, the alarm goes off in the jewelry store. And two other people come running out. And something that should be noted about all of them is that they're wearing sunglasses at night. So that's kind of peculiar. So uh, Static gets into a scuffle with them. But uh, they are able to get away once Ebon shows up. He shows up this early, doesn't he? Um, yeah, or do they just I get away? I, th- I think he... I'm not remembering. I think he shows up that early. But, uh, no, he shows up in the sewer or in the subway after oh, they escape. That's right. You are right. Yeah, that's right. So these three, they escape down to like the subway and leading into the sewers. Um, and they've stolen a bunch of diamonds from this jewelry store. Ebon shows up and he has some, a uh, like, what does he have? Like some tech equipment or something? I'm not even sure what he stole. But he stole something. And it turns out there's another person. Uh, that wasn't at the heist and wasn't with Ebon. He's he's the brainiac of the group. And he's building this device that is going to emit dark matter over all of Dakota. And uh, the the girl that Static was talking to, her name is Nightingale. Uh, she's like, but I can do that. And, and the smart guy, his name is Tech. He says, yeah, but you can only do that in a limited uh, amount. He's like, but this, this, this old pretty much has an endless supply once we put these diamonds in there. And uh, so it turns out that Ebon's plan is to cast this dark matter, matter, I should say, all over Dakota to blot out the sun 
so that the Bang Baby, specifically this new gang he has called the Nightbreed, can run the show. Because what the problem is with the Nightbreed is they're not just Bang Babies. They didn't just get superpowers. They the sun light in general bright lights it's it's poison to them and overexposure will turn them to ash so uh, the only way for them to survive is to blot out the sun um static and richie of course they try to intervene uh nightingale she she kind of has a change of heart and she ends up sort of teaming up with static ebon tries to kill them all by demolishing his sewer hideout uh brick uh, excuse me, it was a brick house. That's her name. House. Yeah, she uh, and and Nightingale they they have uh, they they have a, a good friendship. So she ends up actually saving all of them from the subway slash sewers. And uh, there's a big final fight as Ebon and Tech they activate the machine, and it actually does go off. But Nightingale she has to use her power to absorb the energy this this dark matter. Uh, from blotting out the sun over Dakota. And uh, Ebon, of course, is defeated. Uh, and uh, the kids, they all go, they have to get back to the darkness real soon because the sun is coming up. So while they're down there, Static says, look, you know, there might be a way to cure you guys, not necessarily of their powers, but of this sun poisoning that they get. And uh, there's a fellow by the name of Fade. He can walk through walls. Uh, can he turn invisible too? I couldn't uh, remember. I don't know. If, I don't think they showed him turning. Okay, invisible. but yeah, he can definitely walk through walls. He's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm never going to trust the surface, the surface world again. Because the reason they they ran down to the sewers is because right after the Big Bang, they all sort of found each other. This 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 Nightbreed. And they tried asking people for help, but the reason they were wearing the sunglasses, I should have noted before, is because their eyes are, like, golden. Um, and people were freaking out when they saw them. Because remember, this is right after the Big Bang, as I said a second ago. So people don't know what's going on. They're very scared of the Bang Babies at this point. So seeing these, quote-unquote, freaks with golden eyes is flipping them out. So that's how they ended up down in the sewers with Ebon. And all these other members of the Nightbreed that they mention and sort of show in silhouette, but we never actually get back to or see again. Um, <laughs> but uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, so that's why this guy doesn't trust the surface world. He's like, no, I'm out of here. And uh, so Tech, he's like, you know what? I really should have been trying to find a cure for us all along. Uh, but uh, he, he walks up to Brickhouse and Nightingale. And he's like, let's get out of here. And Static's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? I, I want to be friends with you. You know, don't do this. And they're like, no, you know, we, we do have to go out on our own. But do know that you have friends in the shadows. And uh, so this one, that's it. That's it. There you go. What were you thinking? I don't know. I don't have a score written down for this. <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, okay. Ebon's plan I don't. I, I don't think it makes any sense at all, because if the entire city is blanketed in darkness, what are they going to do? Uh, I mean, if, if I mean, we have to assume Ebon and Nightbreed can see in the dark. Obviously, we have to assume they can because that's. I mean, their powers are all about darkness and right. shit. So, but, I mean, what are they going to do with the city? Right. And if if you leave the Dakota city limits, oh, hey, there's the sun again. <laughs> yeah. It, do, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and someone, I forget who, actually calls that into question. I think it's Nightingale. Yeah, she says, people will just leave the city. We'll have no one to rule over. We'll be alone in the dark again. 
Yep. So I like the fact that someone calls Ebon on his stupid, stupid plan. <laughs> and I, th- that's the thing, though. I, I don't think it's supposed to be taken as a serious plan. It's just supposed to be taken as a serious threat to Dakota. Like, we know people will leave the city. If so, that's where the threat is, is where are all these people going to go, not what's the Nightbreed going to do to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, because at its core, it is a dumb plan. And when you have a character call it a dumb plan, a character who is in on the plan, you know it's not supposed to be taken seriously. This, this is another episode I thought the animation was really solid. I, I really like the animation of Nightingale's dark matter power. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I thought, I thought static surfing on backpack was pretty awesome, Yeah, but, but I would think that him doing that would destroy it. Well, later on, he shorts out backpack in another episode. Yeah. Richie actually is like, thanks, you know? Um, so yeah, oh yeah, I would definitely short it out. (laughs) But yeah, I thought that was a very innovative thing to do because weren't he and Richie falling at the time? Yeah, Yeah. they were. They were going to be falling into the uh, reactor, I think. Is that how the inside of a nuclear reactor looks? I, I mean, obviously, I've big, never seen one, but a, a big flame. I I, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't. I doubt it. I very seriously yeah. doubt it. Yeah, I thought it involved uh, like uranium and cooling tanks. I didn't think it had giant flames, but hey, I don't know. I'm not brave enough to get inside one. You know. Nope. Yeah, and even nope. if they <laughs> shouldn't they like shouldn't their skin just be like falling off at this point? You know. Yeah. <laughs> they were like right above this flame, whether it's supposed to be a real representation of a nuclear power plant or not. Um, they should be dead. <laughs> yes, quite dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else I can say about this one, other than I think I I really like the character of Nightingale. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think it's sad that I, that she obviously is never going to come back, mm-hmm. but. Um, I thought there was a lot of promise for that character to, if they ever wanted to bring her and, you know, and uh, Brickhouse back, you know. I thought that they could easily do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with only five episodes left, you know, yeah, what you after do? this episode of WFP, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I doubt they're going to return. I mean, hey, they have to bring back Specs and Trapper. <laughs> what? <laughs> they come back. Oh my god, you yeah. gotta be kidding. No, they come back in, oh, I don't have my list open. But yeah, uh, they steal some shit from one of Alva's buildings. Okay, one of the things I like about this episode is I like the fact that Ebon has different gangs for different agendas of his. He's got the Metabreed just to sort of cause havoc. But he's got the Nightbreed to actually try to take over the city. That's pretty cool. I like seeing that because, you know, we've established in the past and in this episode that he's not the smartest villain ever. Uh, in the one where they go back in time, he's going to cause the Big Bang before the Big Bang is supposed to happen. So, therefore, he might not have become Iban, you know. Um, and here, he'd have no one to rule. But that he's able to realize that he needs different people for different tasks, for different end goals... That's pretty cool. It shows he actually does have a little bit of a brain up there. Well, and he's also very manipulative, uh-huh. clearly. Uh-huh. So. There was a line of dialogue at the end that I very much liked. When uh, Tech is all like, when Richie's messing with the machine, he's like, no, if you do the wrong thing, it might explode. And Richie, he just is like, then maybe you don't want to distract me? You know? <laughs> and just like the little attitude coming out of him, like, hey, that's pretty cool. And I like the fact that if you actually look at the Nightbreed, excluding Ebon, that is... They're actually the Fantastic Four. That's true. I mean, um, uh, there's Tech, which would be Reed Richards. 
There's mm-hmm. Fade, which would be Sue. Brickhouse is Ben, the thing. Now, Obviously. Nightingale, she doesn't have flame powers, so you can't tie her directly to Johnny Storm. But at the same time, it's not a similar power, but you could sort of see what they were doing there. Is, you know, it's Johnny. I, I don't know very much about Fantastic Four mythos, mm-hmm. but is like Johnny Storm kind of like the conscience of the group at all? Uh, no, that'd be Sue. That'd be Sue. Okay. okay. Yeah. I mean, you could say, you know, Nightingale or Gale, as her real name is. She's the youngest. Johnny's the youngest. There's that. Johnny's power, it's fire, causes light. Hers is dark. You know, so it causes darkness. Um, so there's similarities in some ways, but there's differences in others. But yeah, she she would have to be the Johnny character. And At least three out of four. Yeah. But my biggest problem with this one, and before I get to that, I want to, because I know I'll forget if I don't say this thing right here. This is one of the episodes where I had a little trouble with the animation. Some of the faces didn't seem quite right to me. Really? They seemed a little little wonky. Yeah, yeah. Um hmm. Not not terrible animation. No, 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 no. Just, I don't know, something about it wasn't sitting right with me. But uh, getting back to it, the, the, the biggest problem I had with this one is, why this close to the end of the series, four seasons in, is this the first time we're hearing about the sun-killing bang babies? We have never seen this before. But all of a sudden, it, there's this whole population of Morlock bang babies you know, yeah, you could try to say, oh, because they were living in the sewers, in the subways. No one knew about them. But no, the Big Bang happened, a, like, at least a year ago at this point. There would have been reports early on of these newfound Bang Babies exploding on the street, turning into ash, of uh, a, a, a rise in thefts at night. But no, all of this is just happening now, but we're supposed to accept that the sun's been affecting them since they turned into the the Bang Babies. I really wish they just would have said that they that their eyes were sensitive to light and not that they turned to ash because of the light. Yeah, they're not vampires. <laughs> right, exactly. It was that little extra thing that killed it for me. If they just kept to it, messed up their eyes, whatever. Because then, you know what? Anybody you see on the street wearing sunglasses might be a bang baby. But they had to create this whole other vampire-like thing, like you said there, that just does not make sense to me at all. We can do what you say, of course. It is dangerous, but it may work. I don't pay you to do things that may work. I want results. Do whatever it takes. Clear? What you are suggesting, it could be the end of our three specimens. They're disposable. Just find a cure for my son. Next up is No Man's an Island. In this one, we get a flashback uh, before the the opening credits of the episode where Edwin Alva's son turned into a statue. And when the episode officially begins, uh, Static has to chase after Fire Lord Francis uh, in a stolen Ferrari or something. And uh, once he stops the car, the two are about to duel it out, you know, hand-to-hand with their powers and everything. But some weird stormtrooper-looking guys drop down from an airship and zap F-stop and Static and take them aboard their airship. Static wakes up later uh, inside the ship, wondering where the hell he is. And Francis wakes up... uh, and tries to blast Static, but neither his nor Static's powers are working, because apparently they're 
under some lights that are dampening their powers somehow. And what's also what also needs to be noted is that they have been chained together. So uh, once they land on this island out in the middle of nowhere, uh, Static and Hot Streak have to form a very very uneasy alliance to escape because they are handcuffed together. Uh, but obviously they aren't working too well together. And uh, after some very comedic misadventures, um, a drone starts blasting away at them inside the ship because they have managed to get the upper hand on all these guards. But then they get this drone blasting away at them, and uh, they make their way into a facility where they see rubber band man Talon and gear strapped to gurneys unconscious. And Static naturally is aghast because he's like, what the hell is Richie doing here? Um, but then some droids start ch- uh, chasing them around, and they have to they uh, get out of the facility into the woods, and they find this hovercraft, which Static is able to charge up, and they start flying through the forest, and they they elude all these uh, these droids, and they manage to get back into the facility holding the metahumans. But um, uh, when they sneak back in, they see Edwin Alva walking through the halls with uh, a scientist and some guards, and they're wheeling Talon gear and rubber band man on these gurneys into some big laboratory. And Alva says he doesn't care if it destroys the the three metahumans they have, they will find a cure for his son. So they hook them all up into a machine. They start some tests while uh, Static uh, manages to get a key and unlock uh, Hot Streak from his wrist cuff, and they're finally free from each other. (laughs) Francis blurts out something which alerts everyone to their positions and their, their presence, and unfortunately for Static, F Stop abandons him and gets away while he is captured. And the other three captured metahumans are tortured for several minutes in this machine uh, until Static manages to recharge himself on a power line and he starts blasting away at everybody in the room and he frees gear and Talon and Rubber Band Man. And uh, Alva deploys the entire security force to the laboratory. This massive fight ensues. Uh, eventually, Hot Streak. Uh, reappears with Alva in tow and forces him to call off the guards and the scientist uh, says that Alva Jr. is dying and and Static just says look, hook me up to the machine so I can keep it powered up so he won't die but even his power isn't enough so Hot Streak says alright, hook me up too and they, they with Gear's help manage to save Alva Jr. and revert him back into his normal human form and uh alva you know thanks them all from the bottom of his heart and f-stop takes one of alva's hovercrafts and goes joyriding in it the end (laughs) as a reward though he doesn't steal it that's a reward it was a reward yep um please 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 let this be the last appearance of f-stop i i don't think it is because i want to say that i read uh, many many months ago, that uh, Ebon and Hot Streak become one massive metahuman oh. at some point. Okay. So, so yeah. Okay, because the reason I was saying, please, 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 let this be his last appearance, is because he redeemed himself here. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were to bring him back, I wouldn't mind seeing him be an anti-hero, the Wolverine Punisher type character. But if he comes back as a straight-up villain, I'm going to be upset because that moment when Virgil jumps into the machine, you know, F-Stop walks into frame, and he's got this look of awe on his face. 
and he sees the sacrifice that Virgil's making. And had he not gotten into the machine, one, Elva Jr. wouldn't have been saved, and Virgil would have died yep. because of the machine. Or at the very least, away. his powers would have been gone forever. Exactly, exactly. So seeing him be very heroic, and then at the end, Static says, when they get out of the hovercraft, is this where we pick up our fight? And he's like, no, 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 no. I got this cool ride. And he flies away. You get the sense that they have an uneasy alliance at this point. I'm so hoping that when he comes back to form this super metahuman with Ebon, that, you know, maybe he's trying to be a good guy and Ebon takes over his body or the merging is accidental and F-Stop doesn't want it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm really hoping for. Um, God. Because I, 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 I'm, I'm serious. I loved his redemption because they, they get in deep with this character here. I mean, oh, yeah. there's that moment when when they realize that the island they're on is actually a hospital, or more accurately, a research center, but they call it a hospital. Um, he, F-Stop says, I'm not good with hospitals, and Static tries to walk away because they're still chained at this point, and Francis stops him, and he's like, no, I'm really not good with hospitals. And Static's like, what is your problem? And he's like, he, if you notice, he's holding his side, He's holding it. It's not just his hand is placed there. He's legit holding it. And he says, when I was young, I was sick, and I was in the hospital for two years. And they never come back to it. They never say what it was. I think we're maybe supposed to assume some sort of, like, stomach cancer. Because, again, holding his stomach, holding his side, and he's in a a hospital for a really long time. Mm -hmm. That's got to be some sort of cancer or something. Um, So just giving us that little bit of background about him and letting him do good. I mean, because he could have run away. He really could have. But he got Alva. And then and then he saves Static and Alva Jr. Oh, oh. It, it, it makes me a little mad that, that, that they could have given this character depth before. And they didn't. The only other depth I've seen him from him before was in his last appearance where I suggested that he and Talon might have had some sort of thing going on but that was just you know a little thing in the background maybe maybe not this is actual depth and characterization it kind of leads into my question it's like what the fuck happened to alva it's like he's having a complete 180 from the last time we saw him well and i understand why yeah it's it's still frustrating you know but here here they have he's got to be a good guy from now on there's no possible way he could ever be a bad guy again now right yeah if he pops up in the remaining five episodes as a bad guy just like a stop i'm gonna be mad because he has no motivation from this point forward to be bad he saw what his thirst for hunger or thirst for hunger <laughs> hunger for power thirst for power whatever uh, cost him it cost him his son for probably about a year's time if not more and, you know, he did some bad things to ultimately get him back, but now he's got him back. So he should know not to do douche, douchey things anymore, and he doesn't have a need to do them anymore because he doesn't have to save his boy. So, yeah, I have no problem with him being maybe a shady businessman, but a downright villain, yeah, that'll be wrong for the character. Yeah. Um, if, I, if, I may nom- if I may nominate uh, a line-slash-exchange of this episode. Sure. Now are you using your head? Not really. I just like blowing stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> this, 
this episode is just fun. It <laughs> is. Especially the f- at first half, certainly. I don't know. Yeah. The last half isn't so much fun, but it, it's still, it's really, really good. It's it's just really just cheap comedic fun, and I love it. And well, the, yeah, I mean, first half. The, yeah, the whole beginning of this episode is that kind of, you know, it's a story we've seen before, you know, the uneasy alliance between two foes, or those two guys who maybe on a chain gang, have to escape. But, of course, they're chained together, and they don't necessarily get along. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of story. We've seen it so many times. But, you know, they're bringing new things to it. They're making sure it's funny. And they did themselves a good thing by not having them chained up for the whole episode. Sorry, my voice is kind of going here. Um, they, they actually have them break away mm, a little more than halfway through. I think that was the right call. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. This This really is just... Of the, you know, um, I'm looking at my scores here. This this easily is not just, I think, the best episode of the lot. It's the funnest. Oh, or the God. most fun, however that should be worded. I don't know. I'm not an English major. I'm a writer. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so oh, yeah. God. I, I, I'm, oh, another go ahead, go ahead. exchange I've got to say. It's some kind of high-tech something or other. Can I quote you on that, Professor? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was good. I mean, when, when I realized that the whole episode was going to be those two shackled together, I was like, oh, no. No, no, no. And that it exceeded my very um, unenthused expectations. <laughs> and it wasn't just, oh, it was mildly good, so this way my low expectations you know, what's the word I'm looking for? We're blown out of the water. Right. It's, it's that it was actually a good episode. It it really was. It's so much better than it had any right to be considering the villain it was using. (laughs) Because think about it. Whenever they bring him in, he's either there as a background character. Like what was the one with, uh, where he's blowing up the movie theater. Nah, I don't know if that's the one I'm thinking of. The one where he's out of juvie and he's back at school. There's, you know, he's Uh-oh. just sort of like a part of the story. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or I know he's, or he's there with the meta breed. You know, or Static doesn't necessarily have to handle him one on one. But this very much, he's he's a major player in this episode, and I love the fact that they gave him screen time and they actually did something with it. That was very cool. Yeah, it was um, right from the start, too. They, it it mm-hmm. wasn't like it dragged for a little bit and then it started to pick up. It was right from the start. that They were bantering back and forth. Yeah. And it was really, really solid. Yeah, and they brought a gag from the beginning back. When F-Stop is driving that car, he's hitting, like, trash cans and stuff or whatever. And Static is like, ooh, ooh, because he's damaging Watch a nice ride. Watch the paint, yeah. Right, yeah. And then at the end, when he's taking off in the hovercraft, he knocks into a building. <laughs> and Richie and Static are like, ooh, because he just scratched this cool ride. Yep. <laughs> um, now, is this the first episode of Static to use digital models? The car at a couple of points. Yeah. And I right. think some of the the drones, I think, were digital too. This is a first for this show, right? Yeah, yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, now, speaking of those drones, did you happen to notice the Star Wars Vader theme when they were on the hovercraft flying through the jungle and the drones were chasing them? I figured that was what that was. Yeah. I was like, this is this is such a Star Wars uh, 
uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Return, yeah, exactly. Return of the Jedi. That's what I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they barely hid the fact that it was supposed to be a Star Wars theme, too. I mean, normally when you rip something off like that, you know, like, like okay, when you're watching, like, a, sh- a cartoon like this, and there's going to be a montage, like a sports training montage, they'll do something that sort of sounds like the Rocky theme, but it's clearly a little off. This right. sounded like it was lifted right from the, the 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 Star Wars soundtrack. You know, maybe they changed the note, but I I didn't really notice it. Um, the last note I have, and please tell me if I'm wrong, but have we seen F stop fly before? Not that I'm aware of. To me, that was a first. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's any listeners out there that can write in and say, "Oh yeah, yeah, he flew in this episode or whatever," please do, um, because. You know, I, I don't have a problem with it because, you know, Johnny Storm flies. And I think the explanation is that the fire somehow lightens the air around him or makes him lighter than air or something like that. So maybe F-Stop finally learned how to use his power that way. And that's fine. I'm just curious if it is the first time. That's all. I think my last note is uh, I, I don't understand how a taser pole knocks static out. Wait. And that thing was clearly lifted from the Superman, the animated series episode where Kanto appears. It gives all that apocalypse technology to Amber Gang. Yeah, it is. I knew I recognized it, but I couldn't place it. Nice call there. Nice call. Um, I can sort of justify it because at first I was like, wait a minute. But if you remember in the Green Lantern episode when Sinestro as Green Lantern has all those microchips and uh, he charges yeah. them up and he shoots them at static, he explains that it hurts static because he gave it the opposite charge of what static uses. Now, how Sinestro knew what kind of charge yeah. static used <laughs> is questionable, but maybe the ring analyzed it. The ring can do that and told him at some point, oh, he's using positive or negative or whatever, so he gave it the opposite charge. I don't know. I don't know. Sinestro, we're going back to that episode, but Sinestro being able to electrically charge something with his ring, I also call him the question, but what are you going to do? Where's Gear? In that tornado. And I don't think he's on his way to Oz. But don't sweat it, Static. We'll find him. Just who are you guys anyway? Carmelone, codename? Pulverizer. Point man. Center force. Spin drive. We're the hoop squad. Oh boy, okay. Up next is Hoop Squad. Uh um. <laughs> In this one, despite my expectations, Shaquille O'Neal didn't reappear. I, for some reason, I thought I, he, I thought he was stuff. supposed to be in this, too. Yeah, but he isn't, not even for a little cameo or anything. But uh, the boys and Mr. Hawkins, they are in, I believe, yes, Los Angeles for mm-hmm. the uh, NBA All-Star Game. And as they're driving through Los Angeles in their, I think they're like in a Hummer limo or something like that, um, we see in the background, like, all these things that are rubber, like the the coating of like uh, a mechanical monster, masks, tires, etc., disintegrating. Mr. Hawkins, you know, the boys don't notice this. They haven't been affected by this yet. Mr. Hawkins says, look, uh, I'm going to drop you guys off at the stadium, and uh, I'm going to go check in at the hotel, have some fun. So when the boys get there, they see a couple of basketball players just, you know, messing around, having a game of two-on-two, and uh, it's they bump into Carl Malone, Yao Ming, Steve Nash, and Tracy McGrady. James, I think is that's what yep. you told me. Uh, they, they bump into them, and they're watching them play. And uh, the ball rolls over to Static, and he picks it up. And, uh, you know, the boys are just gobstocked that they're talking to these these 
big sports stars. And uh, they say, oh, you know, you can keep that ball if you want. And Static says, or Virgil says, hey, can you autograph it? And uh, when he pulls out his pen, he hands the ball to Malone. And uh, while the ball is in Malone's hand, it disintegrates. So does the frame around the backboard. So does their shoes. And they notice that it's all these things that are rubber. The boys are trying to figure out what's going on. And when they turn back to the, the ball players, they're gone. And uh, they've seemingly run away. Well, uh, Static and Gear, they then set about trying to figure out what's going on at this point, right? And then they come across, like, a giant monster that's... Not monster, but robot that's stealing some sort of machine, correct? Right, from a train yard. Right. Um, Richie analyzes this robot, and he notes that it's not a robot. It's made up of, like, billions of, like, nanites, um, so it's, you know, robots forming a robot. Um, you know, he quickly explains what nanites are, what they can do. And, uh, so they try fighting it and they're not really getting too far because, you know, nanites can be self-replicating. So they're having a hell of a time when all of a sudden these, these fourth, you know, people, Power Rangers, are flying through the sky, and <laughs> Static sees them, he's like, oh, crap. He thinks they're supervillains. So he flies over to them to try to stop them, and he's like, stop, we don't need your shit today. And they fly past them, and they're like, dude, we're here to help. And uh, they land, and they try to take care of the robot. Uh, but in the process, uh, Richie ends up getting grabbed by the robot, uh, because it analyzes backpack and it realizes that it's, you know, a very high technology. So, or very advanced technology, I, I should say. So it grabs him and it's able to get away, uh, retreating back to its lair. But we find that out in a little bit. Uh, these guys that landed, they reveal that uh, they call themselves the Hoop Squad and they're actually the four ball players we saw from earlier. As superheroes with superpowers bestowed to them by these high-tech Power Ranger suits they're wearing. <clears throat> and they go back to their <laughs> underground lair and... Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself right here. Earlier in the evening, James sends me a text message saying, Ha ha ha, I just realized you had to uh, synopsize Hoop Squad. <laughs> Vengeance is mine. <laughs> Vengeance is mine, that was the end of it, yeah. And I was just like, oh, God. Oh. So that's why I'm oh-godding right now again. Uh, but anyways, uh, they go to this underground lair where Virgil meets this scientist. And we find out he's the one that created the suits for these guys. Um, he has his spunky sidekick robot who finishes. Uh, if you would have seen me, I was thrusting my arm back and forth as if it was funny, the spunky sidekick robot. Um, he, uh, you know, and he reveals that he used to have a partner uh, who <laughs> has now gone rogue and created these nanites or whatever and is using them for his, you know, nefarious schemes. And if he's not given, like, a gazillion dollars within two hours, he's going to use the nanites to go down to the Earth's core and basically send Los Angeles, California, I don't know. The entire uh, West Coast. Yeah, there we go. Into the ocean. And, uh, you know, he's also trying, at this point, trying to persuade Gear to side with him. And uh, Gear's like, screw you, you know. And uh, he's like, oh, I knew you'd say that. And uh, so, anyways, he finds Gear's uh, 
little static communicator device. What's it called? The shock box. And uh, he uses it to trick the hoop squad and static to go to a different location than where he actually is. Uh, they run into a whole bunch of these little nanites and they're able to get away. Uh, but there's some trouble that's caused uh, thanks to that. Um, they end up then kind of conveniently figuring out where uh, uh, this this villain is hiding. And uh, while they're there, uh, he actually ends up turning into the robot we saw from before. So we learn that it's actually not the evil scientist himself. It's, it's a robot duplicate of him. Um, they take it down, and uh, Richie's uh, somehow got out of his machine, and uh, he's found the, the scientist's real body static, and the guys say, hey, hey yeah, just, just leave it there. We'll come get him. Um, because he's still evil. I think he's, are we supposed to assume he's controlling the robots mentally, but he has to be in this state of, I don't fucking know. Um, but anyways, <laughs> um, so then, uh, the episode ends with, uh, Richie, uh, Virgil and their dad, uh, at the all-star game and the kids are cheering on the guys using their code names. And Mr. Hawkins is like, why are you calling them those names, boys? And, you know, they're like, oh, they're funny nicknames we came up with. (laughs) I can sum up my feelings for this entire episode with five words. Oh, boy. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) This episode is just insulting on so many levels. Here's a message to the writers and staff. First off, if you're going to have an episode with NBA superstars on it, could you make sure that you actually get more than one of them to do their own voices? Whoever was doing Yao Ming's voice was atrocious. I, I looked at the credits. I think I think there were at least two of the four. No. No. Carl Malone, Carl Malone was real, right? That was him. Right. He was real. That was okay. his voice. I thought I saw another one that said as himself, but okay, I guess I'm wrong. No, uh, Phil Lamar actually did. Uh, T-Max voice, Tracy McGrady. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah, yeah. Uh, and two other guys I've never even heard of did uh, Ming and Nash. Yeah, Ming's voice was insulting. It really was. It was, it, it was, it was atrocious. It, it, first off, Yao Ming doesn't even speak great English today, let alone, you know, four or five years ago, and yet mm-hmm. here he's forming perfectly grammatically sound standard American English sentences. No. No, no, no. And, look, you remember how when we spoke about Static Shack, I was like, yeah, I understand this episode is just goofy fun for kids. Right. This episode can't even be given that consideration because there's only one superstar being voiced by his real-life counterpart. You know, I understand Carl Malone is a Hall of Famer and is, uh, is absolutely one of the greatest players of all time, but how many kids were huge fans of Carl Malone in 2004? I mean... That was the last year of his career. He only played like half of the games in the Lakers schedule that year. He had mediocre statistics. No kid outside of Salt Lake City and Los Angeles was going to be drawn to the steaming pile of shit of an episode because of Carl fucking Malone. (laughs) Steve Nash, maybe. Tracy McGrady, sure. Yao Ming, sure. But none of them voiced their characters. (laughs) Would you like me to continue? Or? Please, because as I said to you in the text, uh, J- the, one of the texts James sent me was, oh boy, do I have a rant or something like that. And oh, I, I was like, I was like, good, because I only have one note. 
<laughs> so please keep going. As I said in the okay. text, the floor is yours. Okay, let's talk about this Dr. Odium. Uh, I like to call him Dr. Wiley. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about this Nimrod. Yeah. He's he's going to destroy the entire West Coast. To what end? What yeah. does that accomplish? Oh, you didn't give me a hundred bajillion dollars, so goodbye, San Francisco. And uh, <laughs> Seattle, you can kiss your grunge ass goodbye, too. And uh, San Diego, uh, not, no more nice weather for you. <laughs> but he's still standing on the West Coast when he's going to do this shit. <laughs> yeah. He's going to fall into the crevice that will have become the West Coast. Yeah. It's not like we see him having constructed some vehicle to get his ass out of there. Oh, oh my God. And he's just so overtly evil, too. Including, like, the, the, like, almost, it almost looks like he's, like, wearing eyeliner and everything. You know? He's, he, he oh, they didn't even try to make him not look evil. <laughs> You're telling me that an evil scientist isn't going to take backpack off of, off of gear? A kid yeah. that he, expositionally recognizes as a genius? Yeah. Really? And not to mention the fact that his nanites identified backpack as a highly advanced technology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking dolt. Anyway, getting back to this uh, Hoop Squad nonsense. Really, I mean, just how can anyone take the Hoop Squad seriously? How? I, I, and I love... I love how Static, as we've said before, Static treats all these other heroes like dog shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And yet when he sees some NBA players jumping around in rip-off Power Ranger costumes, <laughs> oh, he's in awe. Yeah. Glad, yeah. glad to know he has his priorities straight. And how do they know Static and Gear's secret identities? Yeah. Getting you, What you were saying earlier about Yao Ming's dialogue being insulting. You are very smart for a short person. Seriously. But that doesn't even hold a candle to the worst line in this entire hideous episode. Keep him on ice until we get there. And tell him the Hoop Squad says his career's been rejected. <laughs> no, no, this episode is rejected. I love how that line was supposed to be uttered by all four of them at once in sync, and yet it's completely butchered. One, at least one, maybe two of them says it after another person does. It's like, rejected. Rejected. <laughs> Uh, I was waiting for their powers to combine and create, like, Captain Shaquille O'Neal or whatever, you know? <laughs> I mean, I really was getting, like, a Power Rangers Captain Planet vibe off of this piece of shit. I was just waiting for them to summon the uh, basketball sword from the center of the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, see, okay, the one note I wrote down about this one is that this entire episode, from start to finish, felt... Like, it was supposed to serve as an unofficial pilot to a Hoop Squad cartoon spinoff. I mean, they establish a villain just for these guys. As I said earlier, they're, they have their frustrated scientist boss that has his spunky robot sidekick. They've got a lair for these guys. They've got suits and, you know, all these other things that, they've, that they're setting up for them. They're setting up the perfect way for them to travel around because they're basketball players. It makes sense for them to go city to city. How all four of them would actually team up all the time considering the All-Star game only comes once a year, I don't know. But they even tried giving them that catchphrase with rejected, which which is something you could see happening in like at the end of like every episode. I mean, 
it's, I really feel like they were trying to use this as a backdoor pilot. And I'm so glad, it, if that's the case, it didn't come to pass, because this feels more like a cartoon from the early 90s. At times it feels like G.I. Joe and just like little things they were doing. And hey, I love G.I. Joe, but that worked in the 1980s, not 2004. Can you imagine this being part of the DCAU? Oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd have to be covering a Hoop Squad cartoon, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I would be like, that's not in continuity. Uh-uh. <laughs> We're not covering yeah. that shit. Yes, it well, is. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I love how you said a minute ago about how they would team up because that leads me to my last note. And it's like, what what the fuck game were they watching at the end there? They, I mean, they said it's the All-Star game, but that couldn't be the All-Star game because, you know, I know I'm getting into real-life sports knowledge here, but it's like the Mavericks and Lakers are in the Western Conference. The Magic are in the Eastern Conference. At no point in 2004 could Tracy McGrady, Carl Malone, and Steve Nash have been on the same team. It's impossible. And they're playing in Los Angeles at, I assume, the Forum or the Staples Center. Where the fuck is Kobe Bryant? Fuck this episode. <laughs> Check this out. I've been analyzing super high-definition digital video of our fight. You videotaped us? Well, Backpack did. I thought we could start looking at our game films, like football teams do. Or, you know, burn DVDs of our greatest adventures for all our fans. Uh-huh. What have you got? See? There's the box that ended up on my head. Now, watch the next few frames. There's definitely something there. Or should I say someone? I can't make him out. Can you clean it up? This is cleaned up. Our ghost is someone who moves at super speed. And lastly up today is Now You See Him. In this one, Daisy is at the mall, and she's at the jewelry store, and she's looking very forlornly at this necklace that she desperately wants to buy. Uh, but she then sees the reflection of some weird guy in the display case right next to her. And she's really startled, but then when she looks up, the guy's nowhere to be seen. There's this robbery spree starts happening all over town, and Static and Gear try to stop whatever they think it is, but they fail miserably. And uh, later, Richie is watching security footage of the store, whatever store they were at, uh, to try and spot you know, whatever this thing is on camera. Uh, when Static, or I should say Virgil, comes in and tells Richie that he's going to a B2K concert with Daisy, which hurts Richie's feelings because he's apparently a very big fan of theirs. He's disappointed, but then he kind of forgets about it and shows Virgil the tape of the crime earlier, and they can kind of sort of make out an orange-suited guy running around, and they you know, they figure out it's a metahuman with super speed. So uh, Virgil goes to meet Daisy at her job uh, later the, that day, but she says she's being stalked by some super creepy nerd guy named Eddie that they knew from... I was going to say Clark Kent. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry. Of course. <laughs> Um, so, uh, when they go, uh, into the mall, uh, Eddie again walks up to Daisy, and right away, you know, this guy is a complete tool, and Virgil says that, uh, she can't do anything with Eddie tomorrow. Eddie asks her out on a date or something for the next night. Uh, he says, uh, she can't go because he has B2K tickets, remember? And Daisy's like, oh, oh yeah, that, um... And feigning knowing what Virgil is talking about, and so Eddie kind of leaves really rejected, or dejected, I should say. And uh, Daisy hugs Virgil upon hearing that it wasn't just a ploy to get Eddie away, it was, he really does have the tickets. So Eddie, meanwhile, goes to the jewelry store and looks in the window to see the necklace that Daisy wants so badly, 
And right away, you know he's going to steal it. So later, Static and Gear are on patrol, and Backpack gets an alarm from the mall where Eddie is uh, in his ever-so-cool-guise of Speed Warp and is is stealing the necklace. Um, Static and Gear get there, but they're no match for this guy because he can warp time around himself in addition to being super fast. And he easily takes well, him down. he's not really super fast. It's because he can slow down time. It looks like he's super fast. Right, yeah. Um, so he easily takes him down, and he ends up trapping Static in what he calls his hyper-time zone. He then runs over to Gear, who's outside the hyper-time zone, takes his mask off, and he knows it's Richie Foley. And he puts two together and says, Oh, that must make you Virgil Hawkins. Countdown so- to memory loss starts now. Ah, but it isn't memory loss, Exactly. They they, they swerved us. They did. (laughs) So Speed Warp uh, runs off after threatening... Is it really his name? Yeah, that was his name. Oh, God. Okay. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. Sorry. It's okay. So he runs off after threatening Virgil to butt out of his business. Uh, So Daisy is at her house, and she looks away and then looks back at her nightstand, and suddenly the necklace is sitting on her nightstand, and she's freaked out naturally. And she doesn't know what to do. So uh, later we see Eddie at his home, which is probably his parents' basement, uh, when he gets a call from a Dr. McDonald who says that he has security footage of Eddie stealing the time gauntlet and demands that he call him back within an hour or he'll go to the police or the authorities or whatever. Um, so he goes to, to the doctor's uh, office, I guess, and uh, sees that he went to the airport at 10 a.m., as was so uh, nicely noted on his little calendar there. Uh, so he goes to the airport. He stops the time around the airplane before it can fully take off. Uh, he goes on board, takes uh, takes the tape from the, the doctor, duct tapes the pilot, goes back outside, and removes an engine from the plane, causing it, when, it, when he takes it out of the time bubble, it causes it to go into the sky, start careening all over the place. Um... Static and Gear out on patrol again, and they manage to save the plane from crashing after several minutes. And uh, when they get back on the ground, the doctor explains that uh, Eddie stole this time gauntlet. And they're like, Eddie? <laughs> really? <laughs> I was going to say, that was very Scooby-Doo-ish there. That... That's exactly what I was trying to go for <laughs> okay. there. So the cops show up at Eddie's house to arrest him, but yeah, easily he easily gets away. So uh, Gear and the doctor build a time belt to speed, well, not speed static up, but just put him in the same kind of uh, time bubble warp thing that uh, speed warp is in, so he can actually fight him on his on his own terms, but the belt will only work once, so he can't activate it yet. And so Virgil goes with Daisy to the concert, but he knows that Eddie's going Eddie's gonna to show up eventually, and sure enough, he does, and he stops time. Everyone except Daisy at the concert is completely... Uh, frozen outside the time bubble, and Eddie explains that she was the only one who was ever nice to him at Science Cap, and he'll give her anything she wants. And so she runs off. Eddie chases after, her, and we go back into real time. And Virgil looks over and sees Daisy is gone. He's like, "Oh shit!" Uh, so he flies off looking for her. He uh, turns the belt on, and he finds Daisy and Eddie. Eddie still owns Static, right and left, but. When he gets too cocky, he grabs uh, the belt off of Static, and this combined with his, uh, with a time gauntlet thing, traps him 
in his hypertime world in super slow motion to, for, from a real world perspective. Um, so, like, Static Daisy and Gear out in the real world looking at him going in super slow motion. And, uh, that, and they say there's, there may be no way to get him out of it. Dun dun dun. Eh, convenient for those two, I would say. Yep. Yeah, this one, it's not a bad one. I'm not gonna pretend it's a bad one, but. It's not one I'd like to watch again. Yeah, that that's definitely true. Um, I don't know, there's just little problems with it. Something I didn't quite pick up on until you were doing the synopsis there. At the B2K concert, um, by the way, I did a little research on them. Apparently they broke up in the same year that this episode aired. So, <laughs> again, like Carl Malone... Not exactly bringing in the right people, you know, the, the most relevant uh, people. I had never is. even heard of B2K. I hadn't either. That's why I looked them up. I assumed they were bogus, but then once they got on the stage, I'm like, okay, this has to be something real, and there we go, it was. Um, but uh, anyways, what was I getting at? So th- there's a problem here in that when, what's his name again? Speed Warp? Speed Warp. Speed Warp, yes. okay. He... he he slows down time for everybody else, or he speeds himself up, whichever he's doing, okay? Mm-hmm. But you have to assume that what he's doing is affecting not just the area he's in, but is it affecting the whole world? I mean, they're not clear on what it's doing. So if it's affecting the whole world, how did Virgil get out what is this power doing? Because that all th- my argument hinges on that. Is it only affecting the people that he's around, or everybody? It's it affects whatever he wants it to, and I mean he. I think he bluntly states that. Um, See, but there we go. Then, if he knew that Virgil was at the concert with Daisy, why didn't he keep Virgil constantly in a slowed down state? Especially if he knew Virgil was or is static. That's ultimately what I'm getting to. There's two things I'm getting to. One is, why didn't he keep him that way? And two, how did static get out of that to activate his own belt after he turned into static? You know what I'm saying? I'm guessing it's just that he appears... Nobody else can see this orange shit everywhere. Uh-huh. But, uh, meaning the the bubble, I guess yeah. I'm just calling it. Uh so it, to everybody, it, to the real world, it looks like he's going super fast, right. but not. He's he's going normal speed, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very. No, what you're saying there that makes sense. Then that makes sense. Then he's going super fast. That event is continuing to happen. So static, yeah. Eventually, looks over, sees Daisy isn't there, and knows what to do. Okay, we just worked it out together. Okay, <laughs> I'm good now. <laughs> my, my brain is no longer all twisted around. <laughs> What do you, what are uh, some of your thoughts about this one? Um, let's see. This guy Speedwarp has the absolute goofiest facial expressions yeah. of any character in this entire Static Shock series. Yeah. I equate him to Zangief in the Van Damme Street Fighter movie. Literally every time you see him, he has another goofy stupid ass facial expression. <laughs> I, I I'm going to go I, I, online and I'm going to find uh, screen caps of this episode, and I'm going to find them. I'm going to post them in the feedback thread, okay. just so people understand how incredibly stupid his face looks at least four times in this episode. Uh, although I will give this guy one a little bit of credit. 
finally a villain who can put two and two together on the hero's identities. Yeah. I, I have to give him credit for it, even though I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, he only does it after he unmasks Richie. Right. You know, but yeah, he did it quickly. He's like, wait, if this is Richie, you have to be Virgil. I mean, that was really good. It was. But concerning that, not that moment, but the moment that happened after that, what the hell was Virgil doing? He destroyed that mall. Yeah, that was maybe my biggest problem with the whole episode. I mean, had he done that while fighting, you know, Sinestro as Green Lantern, I could sort of understand it because you get his frustration. But here, okay, maybe he's mildly frustrated that their identities have been, you know, revealed. But I don't see him blowing... Okay, he, he well, destroys a couple the, of shops the, and then the car. That was before? Yeah, that was before his identity was revealed. <laughs> oh, well, then fuck it even harder. Jesus Christ. Yeah. My like, note is, way to go, Static. Destroy them all. Brilliant yeah. move. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing if you're in a superhero battle... And you guys bump into the side of a building and some bricks are knocked out or whatever. You know what I'm saying? You're, at yeah. least you're trying to stop the guy. Here he was trying to find him by shooting electricity around randomly, causing massive property damage. Uh, you might want to look out for that warrant that's going to be placed on your head, you know? He's such a dick yeah. this episode. He's yeah. a dick to Richie. He's a dick to the entire mall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Maul. <laughs> but uh, uh, it should be noted that this kid says he has control of hypertime. Hypertime is a concept um, in the DC universe. It's it's not exactly the most clear thing in the world. It was created by Mark Wade. I want to say Grant Morrison had something to do it do with it too. But I know Mark Wade for sure. He was a big proponent of it, um, and it was initially. All it was meant to do, I think, was to somehow explain continuity goofs. Um, I think... Now, it's been a long time since I've read anything about hypertime, so this is all from my memory. I think it was also meant to say that anything that has ever been said about... Or any stories that have ever been told about superheroes are all true. So, like, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, how they're in their own little universe, they're just as true as the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher films are just as true as the 1960s TV show and its related movie are just as true as any of the radio dramas uh, starring Batman and Robin, just as true as any of the comics, no matter what era or reality they're in. So this way, the stories you read, they matter. You know, nothing could be retconned out. I think that's what Hypertime was supposed to be about. But again, I'm not exactly clear on it. It's been forever since I've heard anything about it that's not what they're doing here but it's a it's a reference to it but you don't come up with the word hypertime in a dc cartoon without having it reference actually being a reference to that there's no way that's a coincidence this guy can stop time or, or it, you know i guess not stop time but make go incredibly fast uh in everybody else's perspective and all he does is lust after daisy yeah okay i guess it's not as bad as a captain planet villain's goal <laughs> but it's still not not a great motivation. Well, well, let's see. Control time or whatever, and lust after a girl that uh, is your own age. 
or <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, or mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not even going to bring up that piece of shit episode. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, or create some nano robots that are going to destroy the coast that you're standing on. How we'll compare those two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then I definitely got I got to say that speed time fuck warp yeah. whatever the fuck his name is has an upper hand there yeah <laughs> i like at the end how they were playing up the stalker vibe with him when she was trying to get away in his orange time bubble and he just kept appearing and reappearing in different spots like right next to her or a little yeah. ahead of her I'm like, that's fucking creepy. Yeah, it is. It's really scary. Yeah, it is. It very much is scary. And, uh, you know, you really start to feel for Daisy because if Static and Gear and that uh, other guy hadn't come up with that belt, she was not going to get away at all. There was nothing that could have ever been done for her. Um, So, yeah, yeah. And then... But I like how it doesn't start out that way. I mean, it builds where we see his face and you're like, wait, what? And she turns around and he's not there. And then it happens again. Turns around and he's not there. And then it just keeps building and building and building to this. That was really cool. It really was. Well, speaking of the uh, the uh, jewelry store, that when he finally steals the necklace, it, it, that clerk pulls a Macaulay Culkin. We've been robbed! <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck does that? Yeah. It's like... A cartoon character was overacting. I mean, what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Oh, fuck. My last note is a question to you. How would you rate this episode's Deus Ex Machina to keep the hero's secrets safe? Um, It's different. I mean, as I said earlier, they swerved us. But, I mean, you could see what's going to happen the second Richie introduces the belt and says, don't cross the streams, or, I mean, don't let him touch the belt, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what's going to happen. He's going to touch the belt, and it's either A, going to fry his memory, or B, more likely, slow him down to the point that he can never reveal who these guys are. I mean, so yeah. And him finding out who they were didn't even really affect the plot, so there was no reason for it. Yeah, he never. The threat he made to Virgil was just stay out of my business, and then he goes away. He doesn't even say, "Or, or I'll reveal your secret identity." Yeah, it's stay out of my business. I know where you live. Ooh, you know. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, do you want to get to our scores? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's see. Too many sheets of paper here. Okay, Fallen Hero. I'm going to give that a four. I'm going to give that a four, too. I mean, I really wanted to give that a higher score, but as I was watching it, it I could just almost see the points just, like, falling to the ground. Uh, Army of Darkness. Neither of us wrote down scores for this one. I'll give it a six. Probably a little too high, considering the, the, the stupid plot or stupid goal but but they I admit it's stupid it. though so or not that's stupid but faulty so mm-hmm. um i'm gonna give that one a five uh no man's an island i'm giving that an eight just all around fun i am you know i wrote down a six but when we were talking about this one i realized i liked it more than a six so it's gonna get a seven <laughs> hoop squad <laughs> this is another one i didn't write a score down for Wow, I'm actually having a little pr- trouble with this. I'm going to give it a two? No, no, <laughs> fuck that. I'm giving it a one. This this episode, it, it was just insulting. The dialogue was terrible. Everything was horrible about it. I mean, what what can you recommend that episode by? 
It has Dr. Wiley in it. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a one as well. I didn't have anything written down, and right when you started talking, I wrote down a three, and then I scribbled that out and wrote a two. <laughs> scribbled that one out. One thing after and, another. Yeah, and ended up on one. Yeah, that, that's that, you're right. And uh, this episode has been rejected. <laughs> Awesome. Um, now you see him. Five. I am giving that a four. Gear? Is it really you this time? Live and in person. I finally managed to get free with a little help from Backpack. And sorry I wasn't there for the fireworks, bro, but I watched it all on Odium's surveillance system. Any idea where Dr. Odium is? The real one, I mean? Right in front of me. Now that his nanite version's gone bluey, I'll give him an early wake-up call. <laughs> Keep him on ice till we get there. And tell him the Hoop Squad says his career has been rejected. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss the final five episodes of Static Shock. Those being Where the Rubber Meets the Road, Linked, Wet and Wild, Kidnapped, and Power Outage. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast.